Um, normally our musical worship goes a little longer, but we have something really special going on today. And um, I just want to give a, pr- a couple preliminary thoughts before we jump into really uh, what is going to happen in place of the message. Today, uh, we're not going to be delivering a sermon. Uh, we're going to be having a conversation. And my guess is, unless you've been um, living somewhere outside of society, you know, understand, and are feeling the cultural moment that we're living in and all of the issues that are going on. Not just talking about viruses, but obviously there's a lot going on in our society. And uh, my guess is, if you're anything like me, um, that there's been tension in your heart as to how to feel, how to respond, what to say or not say. Maybe even feelings of, I don't, I don't even know if I can say anything because it almost feels like anything that I do say is, is wrong. I know what that feels like. I bet a lot of you know what that feels like. But the truth is that if Jesus is living in our heart, then we probably also are feeling a great de- degree of, of tension in our heart because there's brokenness in our world. And so today we wanted to set aside some time to have a conversation around some of the issues that we're all um, facing and discussing and in, in our context, oftentimes discussing online. And so I want to read a passage, and you've probably heard this before, but I, I'd like to invite you to listen with fresh ears and an open heart. It says this in James chapter 1, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Know this, heart of the city church. Let every person in our community be quick to listen, quick to hear, slow to type out your angry comment on Facebook. Slow to anger. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, let us put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Heavy words. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God The Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. In other words, to take care of those who need taken care of. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
And so I want to point out before we begin this conversation three goals that we have. I typically don't lay out my goals at the beginning, but these are our goals just so it's crystal clear. Our goals for what we want to take place in this moment and as we go from here. Goal number one, that we would learn to listen to each other better and empathize with each other's experiences. Just last weekend, I had somebody pull me out in the hallway. And he was pretty upset with me. And he said, you know, I don't know why you say what you say, but when you talk like that to me, you really make me feel guilty. And what happened between the two of us is I was, I was encouraging him to come to man camp, and I was, I was kind of rousing him about it and saying, you know, come on, and oh, you can reschedule that thing and get somebody to, you know, watch your kids or whatever, and come, come, come. But he said, I don't know what it is inside of you, like maybe insecurity, wanting people to, do, to go to your thing, but it, like, it just totally makes me feel like I'm just guilty for not being involved in what you want me involved in. And what was crazy in that moment, what I was feeling on the inside was, dude, you're completely missing it because I know the other side of the story, which is people all the time saying, the church doesn't care about me specifically. They just care about the masses. And so what I was trying to do in that moment was to say, dude, I care about you and I want you to come because you matter to me. But my intention wasn't what he felt. And so it actually didn't really matter what I meant by what I was saying. What mattered in that moment was what he was feeling. And so that, that wasn't a time for me to say, yeah, well, you have your facts wrong, pal. Get it right. And just write them off. Right? It was a moment for me to listen to what he was feeling, whether or not I thought he was justified in how he was feeling. And that's what happens in the context of relationship. Right? Because in the context of relationship, you just don't start throwing, throwing facts at somebody and just writing off how they feel. You listen to how somebody feels, whether it's justified or unjustified in your opinion. And so today, if I could, I'd love to sit down just with each one of you as a pastor, look in your eyes and say, could, could you just listen? Number two, our, our hope is that we will become more educated and aware about the racial issues that we're facing as a culture, and then we might become better equipped to be a part of the solution in a practical way. Number one, to listen. Number two, to be educated and equipped. And number three, that we would leave with a deeper understanding of God's heart towards the racial tensions that we're experiencing, and even more so towards people who find themselves in the middle of this tension. And this should be our goal in every area and aspect of life, is to seek after God's heart towards people, not just towards issues, but towards people. And so today our goals are to listen, to hopefully become educated and equipped, and to listen to the Holy Spirit for his heart towards people. Last thing I want to say is this. Normally, we deliver a sermon, which is not perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but we are tasked... uh, as preachers, to study out the word as best we can by God's grace, to, to plan and think through what we're going to say and deliver and hopefully not speak heresy, but lead people in the truth. What we're doing today is not a sermon. It's a conversation. So please don't soundbite people and just pull something out and say, well, that it's a conversation, and conversations happen in the context of relationship. So if you maybe don't like something you hear or you have a question about that, then let's talk about it. But today is a conversation with some of our brothers and a sister, 
as to some of the things, and it's not going to be comprehensive either. There's no way that we could tackle everything that's going on in society, but we're having a small conversation to listen to people and and hopefully uh, broaden our horizons and our mind and our hearts towards what God is wanting to do in this season. Is that all fair? Yes. Cool. Okay, so what's going to happen is we're going to show a video. And there's two reasons for this. This conversation happened on stage last night, and the two reasons we're showing it on video instead of in person is, number one, we wanted everybody in our church to hear the same conversation, and number two, we didn't want the people that that we were uh, interviewing to feel like their answers were rehearsed or staged the second and third time. And so we just wanted you guys to hear just the original conversation. We're all hearing the same, and so um, we don't usually do it on the screen, but today it is, so... Situate yourself in a place that maybe you can view the screens if you're not, and uh, let's let's tune in and listen. I just want to pray for for this real quick. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, and even in the midst of times that we don't all have the answers, and uh, oftentimes I feel like I don't have many answers, but I'm interested in listening to your heart and listening to your people, no matter where they fall on all of the spectrums. But God, we know that your goal is love and reconciliation. And building a church that's not defined uh, by skin color, but it's defined by people being uh, adopted into the family of God. And so as we we view this conversation, we just ask that you would open our hearts to the things that you want to say to us. And that you would empower our spirit to respond in the way that you want us to respond. We commit this time to you for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, so we just wanted to um, start tonight uh, by letting you guys introduce yourselves, and we just love just like maybe just a little bit about you, uh, your family, your background a little bit, what you're about, um, just so that people can become a little bit acquainted. Uh, We don't want to jump like right in the deep end. You know, it's not like they can really, like we can all have like close relationship with you through this talk today, but just give people, all three of you guys, if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about yourself so that we can start with some kind of context. Uh, My name is Omar. I love you guys. (laughs) Um, A little bit about me. I'm a lot more comfortable singing than I am speaking, so be gracious with me. Um, Racially, I am mixed. I'm black and white um, and Hispanic. My dad's Puerto Rican. Uh, We're we're relatively African, and my mom is super-duper Swiss. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah, I've I've gotten to grow up in in a lot of different cultures. Seth said I'm great. I feel encouraged. Thanks for buying me some time. I was struggling with the mic. Uh, My name is Jordan McLeod. I am originally from Seattle. Um, I don't live here. I used to come to Heart of the City for a super long time. Former intern. Yeah. Former intern. um, We need to turn the ring off. So yeah, uh, just kind of like my uh, dynamics, my family dynamics, um, I'm actually mixed as well. Um, more black than, than white. Uh, my mom is mixed. Her parent, her mom was white and her dad was black, my grandparents. Um, that's kind of like the Norwegian side if you want to go all the way through the family line or whatever. So um, I have white aunties and cousins and all of that stuff. So uh, that's just kind of like my dynamics. And uh, yeah, just wanted to share that with you. I knew you were Norwegian, man. I could feel it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Esther, and um, <laughs> um, I am half white, 
my, I'm adopted, so my biological mom is white and my biological father is half black and half Puerto Rican also. And my adopted parents um, are white, so I have a white family. Obviously those wouldn't be probably the things that you would use to introduce yourselves just naturally, but we're, we're obviously having a conversation around what's going on in society right now. And so can we, can we just start by each of you just expressing, and, and again, remembering that as much as we can, we're just here to listen uh, right now at this moment, listen. And so I wonder if you could just share what you have been feeling in this cultural moment that we're in um, over the last month or so. Like, what's gone on in your mind, in your heart? What kind of emotions have come out of you reflecting on your experience seeing everything that's going on in our, in our nation right now? My Let's start first. with you. Yeah. Let's go, Esther. Um, well, I will say that I don't have any social media. I know, that's weird. Um, but it's actually really nice. And uh, I don't really watch the news or anything. And um, so I didn't really know what was going on. A friend had texted me and said, um, how are you doing during this time and something? And I was like, oh, dang it. Like, did something happen? <laughs> and uh, so I, like, called my sister. Is everybody okay? My kids are with me. Anyways, and then um, when I Googled what was going on, I was like, oh, okay. Like, for me, I thought somebody in my family had died. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, well, my family's safe. Um, but then um, the more I thought about it and... Um, went to work and whatever, a lot of people have been checking in on me. And I was like, again, I'm good, you know? Um, and it was a little bit weird. I feel like it was the first time I really felt a person of color. And I really kind of had to step back and be like, okay, these people are sincere. Um, but with my initial thoughts after that, like what's going on, um, honestly, I'm a little torn being a person of color. Um, my son, my son, my ex-husband is full African American, and so I have a son with him, and he's very dark, and I have a little bit of white in me. Anyway, so there's that side, and then the other side is um, my father is Oregon State Police retired. Um, so I was conflicting in my heart of, you know, what's going on. So I just kind of, I I don't know. I have conflicting thoughts about the two two or more specific incidents that have gone on. Has your response to what you're feeling, knowing the kind of specific subjects that have been talked about, has your response been to kind of just stay quiet and, and think and process, or has there been a lot of vocalization about how you felt? Or um, Yeah, I'm going to be real transparent. Um, I know people know I'm pretty, like, I don't mind confrontation, and I'm pretty strong-willed. Um, so when people ask me at work, like, how do you feel? I'm like, well, um, let's, honestly, there's a lot more going on in the George Floyd situation than what we're seeing. Um, we've all heard the rap story from whoever, um, and then the policeman. Um, but I, it, it's hard for me um, my experience with um, black African or African-American males isn't very positive. 
So um, I tend to, at a, in a fault, um, and talk negative about it. And that's definitely not okay. However, it's my experience, and that's all I know. So, um, and then my father, who's been retired for quite a long time, is still my dad and carried a gun to protect us and my family. So there's a lot more going on. And um, I just, depending on who talks to me about it, that's usually what I say. Thank you. Same question, Jordan. What's, what was your initial response in your heart and in your mind with just this moment in culture? What's going on? Uh, I think with me, it's, you know, me personally, um, I think I've, well, for me, it's different for a lot of people um, in terms of, you know, stereotypes and how people view, you know, black males specifically in America. Um, I think for me, I've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And um, <clears throat> I think with, you know, with Ahmad and, and George Floyd, with all of those things, I understand the narrative of what the media tries to play on. I understand what these worldly systems try to do. But it doesn't stop the fact of the pain that I walk with every single day. Not even just when somebody dies at the hands of police. Like, I have to be careful with certain neighborhoods that I walk in because of certain stereotypes of how people may perceive me. And subconsciously, I have to think through certain things when I'm doing something. You know, like if I'm walking in a neighborhood, do I have a hoodie on? Should I have the hoodie on? You know, I have to think through certain things that, <clears throat> sorry, certain things that other people might not be able to, might not uh, think through, you know? Um, so I think for me, honestly, I think through all of this, it's been, for me personally, I've been experiencing a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Um, and I think from a, a kingdom perspective, just George Floyd dying, an, an image bearer, some of that was created in the image of God, um, just to die an innocent death like that, um, that really broke my heart. I don't even care if the guy was Mexican. I don't even care if the guy was white. I don't even care if, you know, what color he was. I just seen somebody, <clears throat> man, I need to get this water on deck ready. I don't, I, I didn't care for, you know, the dirt during this time of specifically for what was recent um, with George Floyd and the officer and how all went down. Um, it just manifested more of like the wounds that were already there, you know, the wounds that, you know, all of us can have through our life and through different things that we've experienced. And so for me specifically as, you know, a black male in America specifically, you know, it just manifested a lot of hurt. And I had to, you know, wrestle with that and kind of, you know, go to prayer with God with that. But it's, it's a real reality, you know, but also remaining to have a kingdom perspective. Um, it ha it's not always easy, but I think that's just kind of where my heart's been with everything pertaining to, you know, with, with the re recent uh, situations. Omar, did you want to share on that question? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that for me, uh, I think the first thing that I want to say is um, I've always felt so welcome here. 
Um, I've been, I haven't had a family member before I moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, kind of warn me um, because of some of Coeur d'Alene's past with, uh, with white supremacy. And, um, and this is where I was felt, felt like God was telling me to go, so, so that's where I went. Um, but, I mean, since I've, been, <laughs> uh, since I've been here, honestly, I just, I've just felt like I've had this, uh, I've just been so blessed with all the interactions that I've had here. I've never felt unwelcome in Heart of the City Church. Um, I've never felt unwelcome in Coeur d'Alene, and I've, I've never really felt like I'm, like I'm catching flack or missing opportunity because of the color of my skin. Um, so I think for me in this, in this last month or two, uh, the thing that I've been, that I've been seeing a lot of um, is I'm seeing a lot of hurt. I'm, I'm feeling a lot of hurt. I'm seeing people that, um, that look like me uh, being mistreated. Uh, I'm seeing... Uh, I'm seeing other people crying out. I'm seeing the people of color in our in our community, um, and in communities across the across the United States, crying out for justice. Um, and I've been seeing what looks to me, at least uh, uh, acutely, like uh, pushback. Um, and so for me, it's been kind of this question of like, man, are we are we as like on the same page as I thought that we were? Um, like, are we on the same team here? Are we, are we actually all on, like, Team Jesus and Team Justice? Um, and honestly, like, yeah, like, like what, what Jordan was saying, the color, that's, honestly, it has to be secondary for us as Christ followers um, because we, we are enemies of injustice. We have to be because God hates injustice. Um, and so I think that, I think that some, a lot of what I've been feeling is, is this kind of, like, question of, like, Man, are we on the same page right now? Um, and I hate having that question in my heart. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I also just want to take this take a second. Um, there are some people that I've come across uh, in my own kind of upset. Uh, I, I feel I've come across ungracefully to some people. I, like that's why I was when Craig was talking about responding online. I was like, yes, Lord, me <laughs> check my heart. <laughs> Um, so if there's anybody here uh, or watching that I've come across ungracefully to, um, I apologize. I, my heart is never to, to come across as arrogant or condescending um, or rude um, or to speak the truth in anything other than love. So um, please forgive me if I've, if I've come across ungracefully to anyone. Um, one, one thing that, uh, and it began to bubble up here in this conversation here, uh, but one thing that I began to do immediately um, whenever this news came up is I had been hearing a lot of different things, a lot of different opinions um, on, on like a macro scale of like, this is the way society is. I, we began to hear the word systemic a lot more. Not, not began. We continued to hear the word of systemic, but it became more, uh, more prevalent. We began to hear things like uh, societal issues, things with an entire um, part of our culture, right? But what I found was that for me personally, what, what began to help me learn the most and, and feel the most and empathize the most was stories, I, 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 took a, I took a step back and I saw the macro stuff out there. I saw numbers. I saw 
um, I, I saw these big general statements and I began to listen to personal stories. And it was in the midst of personal stories that my heart began to just, I feel like, be transformed by the Holy Spirit um, because the person is always more important than the issue, is, is, what I've, is what I've learned throughout my life. The person is always more important than the issue. And so I, I was hoping that, uh, we were hoping that you guys would be okay uh, to maybe share some personal stories about how you have or have not um, experienced racial prejudice in a real way in your guys' lives? Uh, I've experienced uh, a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of a story. I mean, there's a lot, but uh, this one was really cool. Um, uh, I I was at this particular church one time, and um, I'm like right next to this this other pastor he's like a young adult pastor super cool and um you know we're up in front of the stage and kind of where we were located and and there was a gentleman that came because it was we were we were in the front because we're getting ready to pray for people and a gentleman came and walked to walked in our direction and this guy was caucasian white guy and um he walked up and he he looked at the other pastor, then he looked at me, and, and then he put his head down, and he said, I've hated his kind for so long. And, um, and he said, I've hated his kind for so long, and I, and I just know that this doesn't, I know this doesn't please God at all. I know this doesn't please Jesus. And I just wanted to come up uh, and, and confess this and, and repent of this and, and, like, really come to Christ and, like, I never met the guy, never seen the guy. And uh, the reason why it was cool, not because he was coming to me and opening up. Um, it was more so that he was coming and he was being transparent with his sin because racism is not engrafted of a color. Like, it's not like the media portrays it. Because I'm going to have to talk about this. So the media always portrays the media always portrays this narrative that is sexy, right? That gets attention. I hope I can use that word. But they, they want to get attention. So if, if a black cop kills an Asian person, that's not really cool, right? That's not really cool in terms of the headlines. That's not good marketing. This, this is what breaks my heart is that humanity is so far away from God that they have to create a narrative where they created themselves and create their own story because it's catchy, you know? So because of our, you know, our history in the United States and even beyond, of course, with slavery, you see this narrative that's being painted of a white officer that kills a black guy. So what do you automatically think? Oh, the cop was probably racist and yada, yada, yada. But for me, when it all happened, I wasn't thinking that this white cop was racist or this black cop or this black guy was a criminal. I was thinking this dude did nothing and he died and he lost his life. And that's all I cared about. And I was like, man, where is he going to spend eternity? I was thinking from that kingdom lens. It had nothing to do with anything outside of what the world kind of thinks through. So um, I think during that time when that gentleman came up and he repented of that, it was 
he knew that it was a sin. He knew it was an issue that needed to be dealt with. That's the problem is a lot of us are stubborn when it comes to our own sin. We don't feel like it needs to be dealt with. That, that's the problem. That's the root of the, this issue with racism is quite honest, all of us, not even, I mean, black, white, Mexican, you, you name it. We're all in the same boat in terms of the church. We're not a voice. We're not a voice to society. We blend in with society. A, a, a lot of us can speak out and talk about, but, but it, it goes deeper. I'm thankful for this, you know, I'm very thankful for it, but it goes deeper than just this. It, it's, it's about being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not just preaching Jesus, it's demonstrating him. It's about doing, it's about being Christ-like to people and humanity. When you think about Jesus culturally, I, I love the Bible Project. I sent them an email um, to, to uh, uh, that's another side note. <laughs> the Bible Project is so cool, but you see the, the illustrations and the pictures. You know, that's the one things that, one of the few things that are left out for us while we're reading the Bible sometimes are, I don't know, is in terms of imagination of who Jesus was encountering and who, who he was talking to, Jesus broke all the current boundaries and limits and stereotypes and all of that. The woman at the well is the perfect message for our day. Jesus, Jesus was not supposed to be talking to a woman culturally, Samaritan woman. He was not supposed to be doing that. They were probably different skin color. And by the way, there was no one around her. So that means that when she was at the well, it was during nighttime. It wasn't during the day. It's not like, you know, in today's time, everybody's in Twitter at the house and they're on Facebook. No, during that time, everybody was outside. So no one was outside. She was by herself, meaning it was nighttime. It was possibly nighttime by theologians and Jesus met with this woman at nighttime. What are you doing, Jesus? He's breaking all of these cultural, they're not like laws of the, uh, of the time, but it's these cultural stereotypes. Like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you eating with them? Why are you chilling with gang members? Why are you feeding the homeless? It's, it's not just preaching the gospel. It's demonstrating the gospel. And so Jesus broke those cultural barriers in those, in those times and none of those things bothered him. And so I think for me personally, when it comes to that moment, when that man repented, I was excited. That's why I said it was, it was amazing. It wasn't amazing because he was like, Oh, I'm bowing down to you and I want God to forgive me and blah, 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 please, for, you know, I was excited because this dude was like coming to Christ. He was repenting of his sin. Now his sin was, may, may have been different than mine's of the things that I was indulging in because outside of Christ, we all deserve the wrath of God. We don't, we don't, we don't deserve, we don't deserve anything more. So I'm not condemning this man, but more so excited that this man is repenting and coming to Christ. And I wrapped him, I hugged him because <laughs> it had nothing to do with, oh, this guy's white and, you know, he hated my kind. Oh, oh my gosh, I hate this guy. 
The, it was it was none of that. It was like, man, this guy's coming to Christ. I'm excited. Just like with anybody else, with any other particular lifestyle of sin that they may be living, I'm excited because this person's coming into the kingdom now. That they could be a son and a daughter in the kingdom. So, preach, preach, Jordan. Um, the question: Have I had any prejudice? Whatever, right? Um, follow that no actually not really um I know my sister when I was little somebody at a park called me the n-word and she like freaked out and ran to my parents or whatever I don't know all the details of that story but um I will say that but um honestly I really haven't um and I don't know if that's because my parents have instilled confidence in me and I usually am the only black person um like in school and church, um, whatever. Um, and then moving to North Idaho, my family was already here. Me and my big, huge black husband at the time moved here. And um, we still, nothing. Like, And I don't know if it's whatever. We never really had have had any issues. Um, with that being said, people are like overly friendly and um, like my son has hair like Jordan and he, they want to touch it, which he's now getting older and he's like, why is people touching my hair? Um, and my hair, same thing, like, oh, your hair. So it's like overly friendly, a little over the top, but um, I am thankful. I've never really had any, any issues at all with race. Thank you. I'm sure you can imagine when we were preparing for this conversation, feeling a little anxiety because of everything going on, and, and, it, and it seems like it's, it's hard to know how to respond. And I, my personal opinion is that there's a lot of really good people that are trying to figure out the best way to respond. But can we just for a moment, and I know that time is short, but can we discuss briefly maybe one or two places where it seems like people are missing each other in society. Maybe I could frame it like this. We all know that there's people that are just bad. And there's, there's people that are just really, really good. And, and it seems like that there's a lot of people that are kind of, I think, trying to be in it good, but they're, but they're saying things and they're totally missing each other. And I, I'm not personally convinced that everybody is as far apart as it seems like we are, but maybe some terms, put it like this, I was talking to somebody just yesterday, he has a, he has a whole bunch of little kids, so I was having a conversation with, one, with his two boys, and he asked him, hey, what, is, uh, what does it take to, to be the first person to apologize? And one son said, it takes humility. And then the other son was like, and, and he says to the other son, do you not agree with that? And then he had to figure out, well, what do you think hum- humility means? And he thought humility was humil- humil- humiliation. And he's like, oh, he, he realized that his son was thinking that his dad was teaching in order to, to apologize, you have to be humiliated. And those two words are very similar, but couldn't be different, more different in their definition. 
It's like this perfect example of, in my, I, so I wonder, we originally said, you know, maybe we, maybe we won't talk about the term Black Lives Matter, but this is what everybody's talking about. So um, can we just for a moment discuss that term? Because it's actually not just one term and neither is All Lives Matter for that matter. Um, I, <laughs> I'd like to, you're, 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 you want to go, okay. <laughs> and, and can I just say this before you answer? We're not a political organization. Come on. We don't exist to teach on politics, okay? So can we try and, and not have this be political in nature, but just de define that there are different, that there's a simple truth statement and there, there, there's something, okay? Can we, can we talk about that for just a moment? I love this. Um, I love this. Uh, so I, I agree. Um, I, I do believe, obviously, politics has a, a, a place in terms of, you know, the church and the kingdom um, because God does raise up politicians. He, he does raise up people. I have old basketball coaches and uncles that have been running for office and running for mayor and running for a lot of things. So we need Christian leaders to be in that. I want to touch on that. Um, we need believers in every sphere of influence of how people use that wording. I don't use that wording often, but um, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter, I agree with, I stand with black lives, but I do not support as a believer when it comes to the word of God, I do not support the Black Lives Matter organization. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Many people have not done their research. Many of uh, uh, black people specifically um, have gotten mad at me because of that. And I went into detail and maybe some people understood and maybe some people were like, you know, forget you, you know. Um, but the reason why I support Black Lives Matter, okay, is because of obviously all the things that go on in our, in our world, not just police brutality, also abortion, that the aborted babies in America is coming from the black woman killing the baby in the womb. Um, we don't touch on that in terms of, let alone the church, when it comes, you know, systematically, collectively in, in America, we're not touching on just, not even just black lives in, in the womb, but just abortion too, because that's a huge thing. That, that breaks God's heart. That in itself is an injustice. So the thing that I'm against with when it comes to the Black Lives Matter organization is that it, they, it's, it is, it is, number one, it's a godless organization. If you go on the website, you can, you can pull it up on your phone and read their about page. It, it's, an, it's a godless organization. Practically speaking, not even, of course, uh, the Bible, but practically speaking, in terms of black lives, which I support, but not the organization, they are dismantling the black male, the black woman, and the black family. If we do not stand for family, then we do not understand the kingdom. Because Jesus said, I came here to do the father's business. He, he came to bring uh, 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 the kingdom to lost people to engraft them into a new family. So now it's not about you being black, white, Mexican. We're all engrafted and we are all one. So 
when it comes to the Black Lives Matter organization, um, I'm against the organization because it's a godless organization. It doesn't, it, it's, it's not God glorifying, okay? There are organizations that are not God glorifying that we could support, that we could help. But in terms of what they do with their agenda, it's, it's dismantling, uh, obviously, the word of God. It has no reverence towards the word of God. And also, it's devaluing the, the people that have been created in the image of God. So if an organization is devaluing, let's say, white women, I'm going to be against that. Why? Because my Bible tells me to be against that. God is, God is speaking from his word and telling me to be against any injustice, not just at the hands of police. And that's the thing that breaks my heart with this organization is that politically, if you study even more, it's a political push, which is sad. They're using black faces to advance their political parties. Um, and they're, and they're taking resources and money that's not going to the black community and they're using it to empower more of a political side. And so that in itself does not please God. And I'm fully against that. Um, because that, that's not helping people, right? The kingdom is about helping people. And so, um, that's just kind of my heart when it comes to the organization. Is it fair for me to summarize? You did say a lot there, but is it fair for me to summarize that, I guess what I we discussed and we just would like people in our culture to understand is that the term the simple term black lives matter is true. Just it's yes. true. Yes. Okay. The simple term is black lives matter is true. An organization and your political opinion is your political opinion, but it's I just I just want to clarify that those are two different things. The only way to know what somebody means when they're saying something is to ask them what they mean. Okay, Omar, can you can you briefly just touch on the other term that people are saying, which is all lives matter, and just it from your perspective, if we're missing each other on what we mean. What do you think that like is going on in that? Yeah, um, I think that with both of these things, I think one of the things that that's really important to remember, because I know that we all we all know this, the enemy loves to take a good and true thing and add to it, to twist it, and to turn it into something that that it was never meant to be. Um, so I think that with the with the statement of Black Lives Matter, what that statement is saying is. Um, is, hey, uh, the black community is feeling pain right now. Um, and a lot of times that we, we're, we're hearing this response, at, or at least it's coming across as a response of all lives matter, which in and of itself is a true and a good statement. We need to have a value for all lives. Okay, um, so let's pause right there. We're all in agreement that black lives matter. And we're all in agreement that all lives matter. Right, right. Just, just as statements by themselves. But we are missing each other. If you, if you are online, you know that we're missing each other. So continue. H- yeah. How are we missing each other? Because those two statements right in this cultural moment are not just taken for face value. Right. And I think that, uh, like, like you're saying, it's like a, we're, we're running into a similar thing where it's like a humility versus humiliation kind of word thing. Um, I think that the, the, 
issue that so many people are taking with the statement of all lives matter is that it's sounding in context like a retort. It's sounding like, like people are saying, hey, uh, we're in pain. We need everyone to understand like, hey, our lives matter too. And so the statement within that context, which is kind of just what we're hearing in, in culture right now, the statement in context of, well, all lives matter, it's, uh, I think it's sounding a lot to, to so many people like, hey, I don't hear you. And, I, and it sounds like you're, you're saying something, like you're saying your life, your life matters more than mine. Um, and I think it's just so important. We have to remember the heart is not, is not uh, at least for, for most, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but, but the heart is not black lives matter more than white lives. Black lives matter more than uh, Asian or, or Filipino lives. Um, the statement is, is hey, we're, we're noticing something. We're noticing patterns here and we need for things to change so that we can feel safe. Here's the truth, friends, that some people, when they make that statement, I personally believe this with all my heart, correct me if I'm wrong, I personally think that some white people, when they say that, they actually are meaning the same thing that a colored person, they're, they're saying, yeah, all lives matter. But right. some people aren't meaning that. And either way, either way what somebody's meaning, it's obvious from how people are responding that the recipient of the, of the statement isn't always received as somebody maybe intended it because it's, it's, it's hurting people. And so we just need to be aware. And I'll tell you what, I'll just be honest with you. I remember thinking that same thing when I first heard that Black Lives Matter. I thought that. I, I did. But then I came to understand what my friends of color were meaning. And I'll tell you the analogy that really helped me. If I saw a breast cancer march out here right now, I would not run up to those people and say, yeah, but colon cancer matters too. It would be rude. Why would you ever do that? Of course colon cancer matters. All cancers matter. But in that moment, that's not the time to say that. Why would you say that? That's just what people are kind of feeling when they hear that response. Is that fair to say? Is that, a, is that an accurate? Yeah. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Um, yeah, I was going to say with the... So that's perfect is gaining... I, I would say gaining an understanding for anybody when it comes to the specifics of Black Lives Matter. It, what I mean by that is as many people have, you know, talked to me or said things at me without asking questions to gain an understanding, Right. I think in anything of whatever we may go through in life, it's how do I gain an understanding of what you're going through? I don't know what it was like to, you know, someone could say, hey, I, I don't know what it was like when you grew. I had a friend that said, hey, man, I grew up without with my dad. You grew you grew up without your dad. I don't know what that's like. Please tell me. He asked me a simple, practical question to gain understanding of, of something he's never experienced. I will never know what it feels like to be a woman, uh, a woman in ministry. I, n I never will. But can I get around women and ask them how they feel and how they're treated in ministry? Absolutely. Then I can gain an understanding now. I have a different lens. I have a different perspective because they're bringing me into their world. So when it comes to Black Lives Matter, it is, it is not 
painting the narrative saying that no lives matter. I don't know if you've seen, well, you probably didn't because the media is not going to show all this. Countless black people protecting this one white officer that people were trying to attack. We, we, we understand, people understand that all lives matter, but when it comes to black lives matter, which I stand for and I support, because there's many layers to that that's not being talked about. That's why I don't like the organization, because they just want to show up when, when black people die and not when they're alive. That's what breaks my heart. Jesus is not trying to touch people's lives like when they're, of course, somebody may be on their deathbed or something like that. But I don't want people to support me when I'm, when, when I'm dead, to stand up for me when I'm dead. I want people to stand up for me while I'm alive. I, I, have, I have friends from all creeds of color. I have family members that are white. I have aunties that are white, grandpas white. It's like, Craig, if his daughter was getting attacked, I would be in the forefront to protect her. I'm not gonna be like, oh, she's white she's a little girl i'm not gonna protect no it's it's that nature that all of us should carry in terms of a kingdom perspective that i'm gonna stand in the gap for the homeless for the orphans for the widows for 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 the fatherless for uh for for native americans any injustice so when it comes to and i gotta wrap this up but when it comes to like the injustices though it's it goes deeper than death it goes deeper than black on black crimes it goes deeper than abortion it goes deeper than um police brutality it goes all the way through what's happening today that's not even seen that breaks god's heart there's certain people that can't get jobs in the south when i was living in atlanta this lady told me change your address i was like to get a job why would i lie she's like change your address because if you if you have your address that you live in this particular neighborhood they won't even consider you let alone you being black they won't even consider you so so there's countless injustices that are not even seen that break the heart of god so when i think of black lives matter i don't think of just the people that are dying i think about all the injustices that black people go through in the public school system i think about the fatherless youth 74 percent. it was 70 but now it's 74 percent. black males just by itself are growing up without their fathers do you understand the pain the psychological problems the sickening thoughts the 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 five-year-old that has to act like he's 20 and he has to defend himself and he has to provide for his family whatever it is so before you throw out the word all lives matter bro think about the deep things to the injustices that happen to black people in america because my experience as a black man is not the same as someone else and your experience is not the same as mine so I, I don't I don't guilt trip any of you guys. I don't hate anybody in here. I don't hate anybody. I, I just I think in terms of what happens in the world, the world is gonna act worldly. There people are sinners. They need the gospel. Then they can be able to understand the word of God and obey what God's heart is. And so when I think about Black Lives Matter, I think about us as the church all colors and creeds and backgrounds and personalities and testimonies to stand up for those that are experiencing uh, injustice.
That's beautiful. I love what you hit on at the end there because you begin to talk about the heart, the heart of God in this. What do you believe that God's heart is toward his church, toward people in the area of, of racial justice, racial reconciliation, racial tension? And Esther, I was hoping to, to hear from you first just because we, we've heard from Omar and Jordan quite a bit, and I, and I just I want to hear you know where you're coming from in this. What is God's heart for the church and for people in regards to in regards to race? Um, I've been thinking on this a lot, and I think that God wants us to love. Love is the word. Um, my parents didn't instill black power or white privilege; they instilled love. Love everyone, no matter what. Christian values, the Bible, everything. And um, you have your bubble, your world, your people. Check on those people. Don't check on the random person of color in the grocery store because that's weird. Check on the people in your world all the time and love them. Be sympathetic. Be loyal. Be there for them. Be faithful. Um, That's just the... um, I have a couple verses too. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And actually, as I read that again last night, I was like, wow, not giving up meeting together. Hmm, COVID, Corona, whatever. Yeah, no, no. Um, I just thought that was interesting. And then um, 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Uh, the, the scripture that came to mind for me was, uh, was in Romans, uh, Romans 12, starting in verse 14. I know we've most, most of us have heard of this. But it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, uh, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Um, and it gets emphasized normally in there. I just wanted to read the kind of the, a little bit of in front of and behind it, but um, but the word of God says to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, and in in none of that, uh, in no part of that passage do I hear um, weep with those who weep unless you feel like for some reason they're kind of being unreasonable with why they're upset. <laughs> um, I don't I don't see rejoice with those who rejoice unless you don't really agree with the thing that they're that they're happy about. Um, we're called to, to be one with each other um, and to be patient with each other and to join in with each other as we, um, as we celebrate um, and as we, as we cry and as we face persecution. Um, I feel like the Lord's heart is, is uh, whatever, whatever your personal opinion is, um, if you're hearing someone who is in pain, uh, if you're hearing a community in pain, our job as Christ's followers um, is 
to join them and to love them uh, and to grieve with and to, um, to hear and to see people? Uh, I, w- I would say me and Craig have, have talked about this before. I have a big, big passion for unity and, and um, people that are come from different ethnic backgrounds and stuff like that. I have a deep passion for that. Um, I think the father's heart um, for the church is to carry his heart, to carry his heart because God is, God is broken for so many different, I mean, even when you read the Bible, you see just, he talks about the, him being the father to the fatherless and to, you know, um, you know, supporting the orphans and the widows. And you, you see just the continuation of God's heart throughout the Bible. But um, I would definitely say first, first and foremost is to carry his heart and, um, and, and really, really to walk in unity. And um, I think the other part that, that um, I've been thinking on is John 17. When Jesus is saying for his church to come together and to be one. And, you know, how do we how do we work hard in having hard conversations like this? Because this is not easy for me to do. You know, um, this is not easy for me to sit down with other brothers and sisters in Christ and have conversation. And, and I don't honestly have a lot of these type of conversations. Um, I, I, I have had other people that have sat down with me and asked me questions. But um, I think when it comes to unity, when it comes to racism, we have to carry God's heart because God hates racism. He hates it. Just like with any other sin, he hates it because that racism and all the other sins put him on that cross. And, and so when we try to put things under the rug and we try to say, oh, let's not talk about that one. Let's just keep that one down there. We're not going to bring that up. We have to carry God's heart of hating what God hates and loving what God loves. Um, heart of the City Church, for y'all who don't know, when we planted here to, in 2006, um, I'm, I'm the son of the lead pastors here. Um, I get to serve on staff here now, which is awesome. And I don't have any hair anymore. Um, so I'm just, I feel like as I'm inheriting the baldness, I'm inheriting the anointing. Um, <laughs> I have a little bit of hair, but it's an embarrassing amount. So that's why I shave my head because it looks funny. All right. I'm just being transparent. But that being said, when we planted here in 06, there were a few things that we believe that God was, was specifically sending us to Coeur d'Alene for. We were aware of the history of Coeur d'Alene. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Coeur d'Alene and Hayden have a really rough racial history. There was, there was a headquarters in Hayden for Aryan Nations. And um, we believe that part of why we were here, there's several, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but part of the main reason that why we're here was we believe that we were supposed to be part of the solution when it came to racial reconciliation and for people of color to feel welcomed, not just welcomed, but completely embraced in this community. That, that, that we would dream that one day that people of color could be all throughout North Idaho and not have one thought as to if, it, whether they're in danger or whether they're going to be looked at wrong or treated wrong because of the color of their skin. And, you know, it's 14 years later, and I don't know. I, I would like to think that we've made progress. I don't know if we've made enough. 
but I'd like to think that we're stepping in the right direction. But I want to say this on our website and, and just not just on our website, but in, in our, in our DNA, we have core beliefs. Most of the time when you go see a church, um, on their website, you look for their core beliefs, right? To make sure they're not teaching some wacko heresy, right? That's good to do to check out what they believe because there is some weird stuff out there, my friends. So we have a, we have a page on our website that is our core beliefs. And uh, we felt that it was necessary um, to make it very, very clear because, well, you can assume, like I did, I remember when I moved here, I assumed that racism was dead, the racial prejudice was dead, and that was a thing of the past. It was a thing you watch in movies and you learn from, so you never go there again. And I sat down at a lunch table and I heard people throw around the N-word and I heard people degrade people of color and talk of them like they were less than human, talk about them like they were animals. And I went, I had no idea this was still a thing. And um, we, we found it necessary as a church to make it very, very clear where we stand on this issue. And so we actually, I'm falling apart. It's okay. Um, we found it necessary to add to our website in our core beliefs. You're going to see beliefs about salvation. You're going to see beliefs about the Holy Spirit, about scripture, so on. We now have a core belief in that, in that page. We believe it is so important. We've added it as a core belief about um, racial justice, racial reconciliation, racial uh, unity. And this is our statement that we have written on our website now. This is this. We believe that God created all men and women all tribes and tongues from one blood. And with that, we reference Acts 17, 26, where it says, and he made from one man, every nation, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Okay, we'll, we'll continue on with the statement. We stand against racial prejudice. We believe that the church God established on earth is multi-ethnic. We believe that part of the reason Heart of the City Church exists is to bring reconciliation between all races. And the, and the verse that we use at the very end there is exactly what Jordan was talking about. John 17, verse 20 through 21, which says, I do not ask for these only. He's referring, Jesus is praying in the garden. And he's referring to his disciples. I do not ask for only these disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So for all believers who will come after them, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one, I'm sorry, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He was praying for a oneness that was similar to the oneness of the Father and Son. Think about that. He wanted us to be one like Jesus and the Father are one. And he went on to say, similarly, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That is to say, I think what Jesus was saying right there in his prayer was, our oneness is our witness. Our oneness as the church is our witness to the world. Amen. Amen. Uh, th thank you. Thank you so much for engaging and listening this morning. Um, you know, after the first gathering when we played this video, uh, it's kind of brought to my attention um, something that I had, had shared there at the end talking about the history of Idaho. And I just want to make it very clear. 
we as Heart of the City Church, we believe that we are one part of the solution. And we know that there's been so much effort put in for so many years, uh, way before we even got here in 2006, since even the 70s, uh, to bring that healing um, from, from what had happened with um, the Aryan Nation headquarters. And we recognized that it was a small group of people that made a lot of noise. And uh, we recognized that Coeur d'Alene as a whole my experience has been it's been a very loving place just as omar had said he felt he was very welcome here and we just want to be a part of any time that a person of color maybe from seattle or from somewhere else they think they want to come visit to Coeur d'Alene, that they wouldn't even have to think about the stigma of the past at where they feel a warning in their heart or someone warns them not to come and and, and that's what we were trying to say is is heart of the city wants to be a part uh, of seeing that not only that the majority or the vast majority of Coeur d'Alene would be loving toward people of color but that that part of our history it would be known that that has been neutralized and that that is not something that anyone in our, our community stands. Does, does that make sense? We're just a part of the solution and we just invite everyone to be a part of it as well. So I just wanted to make that very, very plain. I'm, I'm so thankful for this city. I tell people all the time, I plan to be buried here. I've only been here for 14 years, but let me just tell you, I have fallen in love with the people of this town. There is no place on earth I'd rather be. I've been to New Zealand. I've been to Ethiopia. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Honduras. I've been to beautiful, beautiful places, Greece, Italy. And you know what happens every time I go there? My heart longs for Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And so I just, I just want to let you know that I don't, I don't look at Coeur d'Alene as, as a place to be fixed. I, I look at Coeur d'Alene as a place that is going to be a hospital for the broken. I look at Coeur d'Alene as somewhere that's going to, people are going to flock here one day, and it's already starting, but they're going to flock here one day to receive healing. And that anything, anything that might have been a tarnished thing in the past is going to be redeemed for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. It's already in the works. It's already happening, but it's going to continue, and, and we're a part of that. So um, I, I just want to share just a moment. Another part of why we're here, uh, we believe there's something really that stirs in our hearts, and that is to reach the lost. And what we mean by the lost, just to make it very clear, is people who don't know Jesus. And when Jesus was in the garden, that passage that I, that, that I was reading from John 17, he was in the garden right before, it was like a few hours before he was about to die. Why, did, why would Jesus need to die? Why would this super cool, you know, everyone, this great teacher, as a lot of people know him, or this very kind person, what, why would he need to die? Well, it goes back to centuries and centuries and centuries before that night. When God created humankind to be in relationship with him, he created us in his image. And his desire for, was for us to be in full, intimate relationship, heart to heart with God. God is love. Amen. Amen. God is also holy. He's holy. And the Bible actually calls him holy way more than it calls him love. I know that you might have gone, well, what? that doesn't make me feel good. Sorry. The Bible calls him holy way more often than it calls him love. And he's both. But what that means was that when we chose to sin, that is to do the wrong thing, that is to rebel, that is to not trust in Him, to go against Him, we created a barrier because He is holy. And He does not coexist with sin. He is holy light. He does not coexist with darkness. And so what he did when we chose darkness over light is he spent years and years making different covenants and agreements with people, chasing after their hearts, our hearts. 
And then finally, after we had broken covenant after covenant after covenant, he sent the perfect sacrifice, the perfect one to stand in our place so that the barrier would come down. And the only way for that to happen was for him to send his son, and that is the very human manifestation of God himself to earth to be sacrificed so that the barrier might be removed. See, that is why when we talk about this prayer in the garden, it is so incredibly important. Jesus was praying with the context that he knew he was making a way for man, for humankind to be reconciled with the Father. And while he was praying, he goes, I don't want this just to be possible. I want them to know. And how did he say that people would know? By our oneness. He said that through our oneness, that people would know that the Father sent him and that the Father loves us even as he loved him. And so I just want to talk just for a moment. If you are hearing this story, which is the story of the gospel, Jesus, he died, he rose again, he died for our sins, he rose as a first fruits of eternal life for anyone that would believe in him. That is the story of the gospel, that we now can have eternal life and restored relationship with God the Father through Jesus and only Jesus. And so what I want to invite you to today is if you're sitting there and you're going, I want to put my trust in that Jesus. I want to, I want to proclaim and to declare that Jesus is my only hope and you, haven't, and you haven't already done that. We want to invite you to do that today because we believe it's so incredibly important. The Bible says that when we do that, that heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. And so I just want to give a moment. I'm just going to count to three as just a point of response. And I want to invite you, if you're in that place where you're not in that relationship and that trust and that faith in Jesus and you want to be and you want to make that decision, that commitment today, that you would just slip up your hand only so that we can celebrate with you and walk with you. Because the decision and the commitment takes place in an individual level, but the walking out in the fullness of relation takes place within community with brothers and sisters supporting you, walking with you. We all need it. Not just people who are new, but we all need that. We all need that support in that community. So I'm just going to count to three. And if you have not been walking in personal relationship with Jesus, but you want to make that commitment today, just slip up your hand. One, two, three. Amen. Beautiful. Church, can we celebrate? Amen. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Brother, for you who raised your hand and anyone who didn't raise their hand and maybe are still making that commitment, I'm going to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I'm just going to give you an example, and I would ask the entire church to just join with me in this prayer. And that if you want to make that commitment today, that, that you, would, you would deliver your own sincere prayer to God in submitting your life to Him. So Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on our behalf that we might be restored in relationship with you. We confess that we have made mistakes and we have messed up and turned from you, but we are so grateful that you made a way for us to be in relationship with you. We surrender our lives. We give you all that we are. We confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. 
that he died and arose again so that we could be with you forever. We love you and we give all that we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, we want to know about it. However you want to communicate it, talk to a leader, send us an email, whatever it takes. We want to walk with you and see you be able to walk this journey with Christ for the rest of your life here on earth and so much longer than on earth.